Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The all-new Toyota Highlander Hybrid is designed to go Highlander. What's go Highlander, you ask? It means amplifying your drive with best-in-class EPA-estimated 35 MPG combined so you can keep on keeping on wherever the road takes you. Don't just go farther. Go Highlander in the all-new Toyota Highlander Hybrid. Toyota, let's go places. 2020 Highlander Hybrid all-wheel drive, 35 city, 35 highway, 35 combined MPG EPA estimates. Actual mileage will vary. 2020 Highlander Hybrid versus 2020 competitors based on data at www.fueleconomy.gov as of 21820. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on a Sunday afternoon after the Cubs pick up the W in the finale of a four-game set with the Mets to earn the sweep. So all told on the week, it is an even three and three split with the White Sox and the Mets. Not exactly what we were hoping for, but the week ends on a big note, Brendan, and that note is the 100th career home run for one El Mago, Javier Baez, and boy, was it a big one, Brendan. Sometimes he does this where he hits a tank, but you can't tell right away because he almost... Like, he's almost too casual with it. And you think, it's always oh, going to be a fly ball to right field. This one just carried right out. And Javi's celebration, too. He ran to first base. I don't know if you saw this. Ran to first base. Did the Alfonso Soriano toe tap. I don't know if you know about that. But he kind of, like, shuffles his feet, does a little bit of a toe tap. Beautiful celebration. Up there is one of his best, in my opinion. Well, then he gets the curtain call from the crowd at Wrigley Field, rips his jersey out, like, pumping oh them gosh. up. This was a... Big home run. This was a move between for him sure. and Contreras. Like those celebrations, the last ten days or so, they're they're on point. They're in like October form, I think. Yeah, it was electric, and it, it was a big one. The Cubs trailed three to two in the bottom of the eighth inning. They had two men on, and Javi comes through in the clutch again. His one hundredth 
career home run, another oppo shot, something we've seen a lot from him this year. And it was a big one as it steals a W for the Cubs late on a day where Jacob deGrom pitched. Doesn't get more clutch than that, folks. And this was another occasion. I I was reading this on Twitter from Tony Andreacki at NBC Chicago, and I like borderline couldn't believe that this happened again. Brendan, but this is another occasion. We've talked about this on this podcast before where Pedro Strope tells Javi he's going to win the game and he just does it. And this is not the first time. I don't think this is even the second time. The, the, the most famous occasion of this is in the first game of the NLDS with the Giants in 2016, where they're in the, the clubhouse, I think, or the tunnel. And Strope says, you need to take control of this game. You, right now. Like, you need to beat Johnny Cueto. And, of course, Javi Baez uh, deposits one into the basket, of course, with Matt Vaskersen's famous call there. And I think it happened earlier this year against the Phillies, where Strope said, you know, Javi, you got to go take care of this. He's like, okay, I will. And then today, again, this this quote from Tony Andraki on Twitter, Strope, quote, I told him, that's good you know that. Go up there with another plan. Do your thing. You're going to win this ball game. And good that you know that was referring to Javi being frustrated that DeGrom was just peppering him with sliders in those early at-bats. And I'm not even sure what to make of this. Like, Strope is like literally the El Mago whisperer, however you want to to phrase that. But I, I... So I think Strope should just be on the on-deck circle for Javi's, like, every at-bat after the seventh inning. If that's the case, I mean, that's the third time, Corey. Like, that's 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 no fluke there. I think I think Strope has to be next to Javi during these Well, you have to think that that Strope is, is mindful of when he does this, right? It must truly be he just feels it because he could just say it to Javi every day. Right or every Maybe time they're losing, we just don't know about it. <laughs> well, and I want to read one more stat on this, and then we can kind of get into the rest of the podcast here. Is we do have four games with the New York Mets to discuss, and all the happenings in between. Craig Kimbrell pitching on multiple days in Iowa, getting closer to joining the Cubs bullpen. But I want to read this stat from Jeremy Frank at MLB Random Stats on Twitter. A great follow, along with uh, Christopher Komka, who we mention all the time. If you're just into these weird random stats that uh, take a little bit of effort to to figure out, uh, I think using the baseball reference play index, but, the, but there is some effort involved in finding these. And Jeremy tweeted out the list of home runs after falling behind in an 0-2 count. And I think we've read on here before, also from Jeremy Frank, the just like absurd numbers that Javi has in an 0-2 count that are, are just out of control how well he has hit this year after falling behind 0-2. But I, I just want to read this list in reverse order as it was tweeted. And trust me, the payoff at the end is worth it. So home runs in 2019 after falling behind 0-2 in the count. You ready for this, Brendan? Let's hear it. Yep. Tied at five are the Indians and the Royals. Tied okay. at six are the Pirates and the Marlins. The Giants come in with seven home runs after falling behind in an 0-2 count. The Angels okay. at eight. The White Sox, the Phillies, and Red Sox are all tied with another entry on the list at nine. But at the top of the list, Brendan, is not necessarily the Chicago Cubs. It's just Javi Baez. <laughs> 
So this whole list is all teams, but Besides also Javi Baez. Baez. I love it. Yeah, I don't. If you look at his O2 counts, he has a 411 weighted on base average, Corey. 411. He's created so far in this year six more runs than an average hitter through 0 and 2. I don't. I don't know what it is with Javi. This has been a thing for him, though. I feel like since 2016, you look at Hunter Strickland and NLDS. Javi goes down 0 and 2. Strickland, for some reason, does not throw Javi another slider. Javi wins the game for the Cubs, essentially in that 2016 NLDS. So this is what Javi does. He has this weird ability to just go against O2 counts. I don't understand it, but I'm, I'm here for it. As we've said many, many times on this podcast before, it is simply Javier Baez's world, and we are all fortunate enough, Brendan, to be an occupant in it. But let's run through these Mets games real quick. Again, the Cubs and Mets splitting a four-game set at Wrigley Field. And we start on Thursday, and we will be going back to Thursday once we jump out of these recaps real quick, because Thursday, it was the beginning, Brendan, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, of Alzole season. Adbert Alzole makes his major league debut at Wrigley Field, and he picks up the first win of his career. He pitches four innings of relief after Tyler Chatwood started the game. Chatwood also goes four innings. He gave up six hits, two earned runs, one walk, and one strikeout. Alzale follows with four innings. He gives up one hit, one earned run. It was a home run by Todd Frazier. He allows two walks and strikes out five. He left to a standing ovation at Wrigley Field. And the hat tip, Brendan, is going to get some play. The boys had some fun with that one. I loved it. You you know that someone is immediately kind of like entered the fold of the clubhouse when he's being lightly made fun of on the first day because uh, the outfielders, after the Cubs won this game, ran in with their hats (laughs) you know, extended to the crowd. Rizzo was doing it. Baez was doing it. Then we saw the next day Baez getting hits and doing the hat tip. Victor Caratini uh, pitched in relief, unfortunately. That's obviously never a good thing, but we like to have fun with it, keep it light, right? And he left the field with a hat tip. So Alzale kind of immediately getting into the the, the feel of that clubhouse. And, and, you know, I think that's... how you can tell he's been welcomed with open arms, right? And and it, it might seem a bit contradictory, I suppose, but in sports often uh, when a guy, when, when the rest of the team is is poking fun at a guy playfully, that that's that's how you know you've made it, Brendan. Uh, I make fun of you all the time, and that's how- Every single that day. It, that's how we know that you and I are uh, good friends, but- yeah. Anyway, uh, the Cubs winning 7-4 to four on Thursday. That is the final. Uh, those pitching things are, are the big notes. Uh, the Cubs have a big bottom of the third inning. Daniel Descalso with an RBI single. Chris Bryant with an RBI single. Anthony Rizzo put the Cubs on top after they entered the inning, trailing 3 to nothing. A Rizzo double made it 4-3. to three. A Javi triple made it 5-3. to three. And a wild pitch allowed Javi to score. That made it 6-3. to three. Before his big homer on Sunday, Javi also homered on Thursday. That was his 18th of the year at the time. That made it 7-3, to and then Frazier homered in the 9th to make it 7-4, to but that would be all she wrote. Again, the story on Thursday, there's really 
no question about it. That was uh, Adbert Alzale was the story of the night. And honestly, like up until Javi hit that home run would have been the story of the weekend. It still probably is. But that Javi home run certainly uh, makes the case for the lead storyline. On Friday, the Cubs lose 5-4 to four to the Mets. And unfortunately, Brendan, this is a recipe that we have seen all too often from three pitchers in this game, and one that you hope changes going forward. Uh, But Yu Darvish, given a couple of leads, he gives back those leads. He goes ultimately six innings, four hits, four earned, two walks, and six strikeouts. And then he is relieved by the tandem of Brad Brock and Mike Montgomery that don't get the job done. And stop me if you've heard that one before, right? Uh, Brad Brock, Brendan... I know you're not, not a fan, yeah. but uh, not not a fan. This is there, a, right? a movie that we have seen the ending to way too many times this season. He's well. The problem whip. is we haven't seen the ending to this story. That's the problem. Well, we've seen the ending to the movie when he comes in and tries to have a successful outing. <laughs> um, sure, but sure. you you've got a whip near two. You've got an ERA that sits at I believe he pitched in Saturday's game as well and didn't give up a run, so it lowers to six point one four. Oof! And this is a guy who's been on the team, you know, since the beginning of the year. So this is not just a couple outings. So anyway, they're going to have to do something with that. Uh, but that's pretty much the story in this one. The Cubs had the lead in this one. They led two to one after the bottom of the second. Yu Darvish helping himself with an RBI single that made it two to one. Uh, but Jeff McNeil would put the Mets back on top. Addison Russell would homer in the fifth to give the Cubs the lead again, but that would be squandered immediately in the top of the sixth with a Michael Conforto home run, and then again in the seventh, the Mets getting the winning run on a Jeff McNeil single, and that would be all she wrote. So an unfortunate uh, situation in this one as the Cubs led two to one in the second, and they also lead four to three in the fifth, but ultimately the final five to four Mets. On Saturday, this was a clunker, so I will be brief. The only thing I think I really need to point out from this one is Jose Quintana was abysmal in this game. Four and a third, nine hits, eight earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts. He allows three home runs. This was not good. And that not is good, no. Pretty much all there is to say about Saturday. And then we have kind of covered the big moment on Sunday, the Cubs winning 5-3 to three to earn the split in the series. The starter in this one was Cole Hamels. He was very good. Again, he gets a no decision, though. Seven innings, seven hits, three earned, two walks, five strikeouts. He allows two home runs. Uh, but again, another really good outing for Cole Hamels. Steve Ciszek, a clean inning of relief. He does allow one walk, but no hits or runs to pick up the W. Pedro Strope was lights out. Two strikeouts, no hits in an inning to earn his ninth save of the season. Good to see uh, Pedro get back out there after, uh, you know, of course, the Eloy home run situation that we discussed earlier in the week. Uh, You know, and he didn't look good in that game. Obviously, command looked off. Philo was a little weird. His body language was a little weird in that game against the White Sox. And he looked very much himself, hashtag hats to the left, whatever you want to say, on Sunday. So that was very good to see Pedro get back out there and look good. Uh, Again, the the big blow in this one is a three-run home run by one Javier Baez in the bottom of the eighth. Cubs trailed three to two. And if you do some simple math, which is tough even for me sometimes. Uh, we know, a, we know. A three-run home run when you have two runs would make it 
five runs. So five to three is your final. The other big hits in this one, Cole Hamels with an RBI single. Uh, So a couple of pitcher RBIs this weekend. And Anthony Rizzo with an RBI single to bring in another run in the fifth. And that is all she wrote. So all told, Brendan, uh, again, a split with the Mets, a split with the White Sox. That is not what we asked for when we came back from this trip against the Dodgers. Uh, I think we're certainly hoping for a little more home cooking once the Cubs got back at Wrigley Field as they have played really well there this year. But you steal the DeGrom game on Sunday, Javi with a a massive home run, the electricity pouring through him when he does the curtain call, ripping his jersey out, pounding his chest. Um, So you leave Sunday, I, I guess, feeling kind of good, even though the week was not really that successful. I, I don't know if my feeling about the recent play has changed. I think I'm more relieved that they split that series. But th- there's still some things not to be like worried about, but to be slightly perturbed by that we're, we're going to talk about. But I do think some of the issues that have kind of halted the Cubs in recent weeks, they're still persisting. And I don't know if there's a uh, an immediate solution in the future. I think the outfield depth we've talked about a lot uh, has been a problem. And we're kind of seeing the consequences of that. And Almora has looked a little lackluster in the past few weeks now. And he's continuing to play. Cargo has not looked good. But I think it opens up a discussion about, okay, with Almora, what do you tend to do here? And with Ian Happ not performing that well in Iowa, there's not really many solutions that you can think of right now. So I, there's two ways to look at this, right? The first thing is Alzole dealt. I think what he did was insane. The changeup was on point, which was a huge surprise to many of us watching the game because you didn't hear a lot about his changeup when he was being called up. You heard mostly about that curveball. And he threw a quarter of his pitches as changeups in that debut. And they were whipping on them nonstop. That was fun to see. So the total takeaway is probably Alzole. And at the same time, it's still not, still not making me, uh, think about some of these issues that are still at hand. So I'm positive about the overall outlook still. I think Alzole was fun to watch, but at the same time, I'm relieved they won or they split that series because if they went down three to four, the tone of this podcast may have been different. And I think we may have focused a little bit more on some of the underlying issues that have hurt the Cubs in the past 10 or 15 games or so. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just one of those things where ultimately, you know, it's it's June, the Cubs are still in first place. And as I I think is kind of just a hallmark of you and I on this podcast, Brendan, is kind of just preaching, trying to be rational and keep an eye on context and and just the overall big picture of things. That being said, there's, there's really not a great way to spin splitting six games with the White Sox and the Mets. And like you said, had they lost on Sunday, you know, had Javi not kind of raised them from the dead there, there, there's no way to spin that, right? And, you know, there, there's a lot of runway left in this season, and we turn the page to this Brave series now, but you just want to rack up wins when you have two just not that good teams coming into uh, your home ballpark where you've played well. 
And that's not really what we saw. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where it leads us. But I do want to start with Alzale because I think that this is uh, a big hot topic with, with the Cubs right now. He obviously, like I said, gets in there in relief, throws four innings, gets the W in the game on Thursday. Joe Madden announcing over the weekend that he will get a start. So a full-on start in the rotation on Tuesday against the Braves. And I think that just for a moment, obviously this happens on Thursday, so we're kind of a little bit removed from it now, but I think that that start and and why we were so big on him getting the opportunity to pitch while Hendricks is, you know, still working his way back and they're taking their time, they're being patient— I think you really saw, obviously, the performance, right? Like we've, we, you know, we've had up and down issues with this bullpen all season. So obviously, just injecting a pitcher to perform like that it plays a big role. But I think also, you know, and we we kind of we and the team joke about the hat tip thing, etc. But I think you really saw the the impact, right? Like this isn't the NBA. Like one player isn't really going to like totally flip the script on a team or a season. But I think on Thursday, you really see that kind of energy, that that youthful energy and excitement that a, a player like Alzale and just a top prospect in general, not something that we're unfamiliar with, with the Cubs bringing these guys up throughout the season, but you really just see the impact of that. Like it felt different than than a lot of these games that we've watched like when is you know with, with this group like there was such excitement I, I had the the broadcast on but had Pat and Ron on the radio and just the excitement with every pitch and and each strikeout that he built and each inning that he went on the excitement just built and built and built and and I think that you know that's something that we've talked about and it does relate Brendan to what you were talking about with the position players and some of the inconsistencies but Sometimes, like, you give the opportunity to a young guy who has the hype around him, who has the excitement around him, and it injects something a little different into the team and, and I think can be a real lift. So I we, we don't have an exact plan on what the Cubs are going to do after Tuesday. I think, obviously, perhaps depends on the result, depends on what's going on with Hendricks. Uh, perhaps Chatwood is also going to get a start there. They're going to do a six-man for at least one turn. So a lot of factors going on here in terms of what the future is. But I think tough not to pause and just be really excited. Like that debut went really, really well. And yeah. he was so excited about it. He just talking in in the post game to the beat writers, the, the smile on his face, man, and this is just another one of those moments where, you know, you follow along with these guys as they come up through the system, you hear the names, you hear the hype, and to see them get out there and succeed like that and 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 hear and see how much it means to these guys, they're they're reaching their dream. It, it's it's very exciting and and I think that there's something to that and and what it can do to the ball club, but I do want to read just what what Alzale said after the the game and he said, "Quote the best thing that ever happened to me. All the people were cheering my name and all that. I did my job. I did my part. We got the game. It was just love it. amazing. You, you got to love, love that, man. He was so excited to be out there. He was really soaking it in. And going back to the hat that thing, like, that's, I think, why the guys are, are you know, being playful with him a little bit because they know it meant that much to him and and they're trying to you know turn it into a a fun thing that the that the group can do together but 
you again we're we're a few days removed from it and i think it would have been easier to really like celebrate his outing had the cubs taken 3 of 4 here right or like kind of right. continued on that good note after thursday night but you you gotta pause just for a second. Yeah, and say, I mean, don't let don't let the Cubs' recent performance too take away from that. right. I mean, right. yeah, the offense has not been good, and there's been concerning issues. But Alzolay's worked his butt off to get back to this point, and even last year when he had that lat injury, we expected this to happen one year previously. And so for Alzolay to come up here and really shove. I mean, Corey, those pitches are no joke, man. He has like two different types of curveballs. He has a changeup. He throws 94, 95, 96. Got a great delivery under control. There is so much to be excited about from Alzale. And on top of that, he has that type of demeanor. That that was impressive to come into the game like that, Corey, to shut down the team in late innings. That is impressive for a 24-year-old. And it kind of shows you that, okay, if Alzole does stick with the team when Hendricks is back, he has the ability to do this out of the bullpen in high-stress situations. And I was watching the game with a friend of mine, my brother, and I turned to them and they said, oh, he only has 56 pitches. He, sh- you know, he can go the entire game. At the same time, those are high-stress 56 pitches. Those are not the same type of 56 pitches he would have thrown from the first inning to the fourth inning. Those are high-stress pitches. You can be impressed about how he performed and what his pitches look like, but the fact he did that in the sixth, in the seventh, in the eighth, going into the ninth, that is really telling, I think, about the type of demeanor that this kid has. He has it, Corey. Alzole, he has it. It's a matter of him getting the opportunities. It's a matter of him facing some challenges, which will happen this year, hopefully, and getting beyond that. But I think th- this guy has it. I was so impressed. And I think from the past 10 years or so, I-, I can't recall a Cubs pitching prospect looking like that. I can't. Even when Hendricks was called up, it took him two years to really find his groove. Alzole looks like he already has it. This is the first time since maybe, I don't know, mid the mid-2000s where a pitcher of this magnitude comes up and performs like this? I mean, you have to look back to maybe even Sean Gallagher. Bet Saratoga from anywhere this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. Naira Bets players enjoy world-class HD live streaming covering races worldwide, instant replays, exclusive bonuses, and earn points on every bet. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Join today at nyrabets.com. And make sure to use promo code SPA to earn your sign-up bonus up to $200. Yeah, and as we saw throughout the weekend, you know, he was going through a Mets lineup that has a lot of pop in it. We certainly, Mm -hmm. I have had more than enough of Pete Alonso. He needs to go. Yeah, Yeah, never again. We're done with him. Please do not come back to Wrigley Field. Pete, uh, hit those, you know, break that Mets rookie home run record somewhere else. Please, like (laughs) enough already. But... It's all just to say throughout the weekend, we saw like th- this group has a lot of pop. He does get uh, got by by Frazier eventually. But it's all just to say like this is a group that, y- you know, you can't make too many mistakes with without paying the consequences at least a little bit. So I think impressive that Alzale was able to do this. And like you said, yeah, he gets in there. He's immediately protecting a lead at home, you know, so like the stakes are there and he lived up to the moment and then some. And just a, a little fun thing that I, I think is going to be interesting going forward. I was listening to a lot of this on the radio with Pat and Ron, and 
Uh, Brendan, if Ron Coomer said his name 15 times, I would say he didn't say it right once. And it's it's just kind of funny to me because it, it we've gone over how, like, it's a bit of a tongue twister, especially like when you try to say Albert Almora in any area around saying Albert Alzale. But man, like he 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 was calling him Albert Alzale. We were getting some Anzales in there. I was <laughs> cracking up throughout this broadcast because I was just like, one time, you know, maybe he'll run into it and, and stick the landing here. But I, I really don't think he got it right one time. So that's just, uh, you know, a little fun that, that I was having there watching this. But yeah, like you got to be able to appreciate this kind of outside of anything. And again, like we've talked about this pitching staff, mostly in the bullpen, like needing to perform better. Some of these guys just not getting the job done. And, you know, when you have Craig Kimbrell in Iowa getting ready to join this group, Tony Barnett activated and called up by the Cubs uh, prior to Sunday's game, you you do see the impact that just one guy can have when you sub him out for someone that hasn't necessarily been performing. And we'll see what they do going forward. But I, I think it was a good example of why we keep talking about just pushing some of these guys down in the roles, letting guys settle into roles that they're more capable to fill rather than everybody, you know, being asked to maybe pitch in, in leverage situations that they shouldn't be. I, I think you saw that on, on Thursday and, 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 you know, we'll continue to see that once Kimbrell comes, but just one guy performing well, you know, bringing some, some good stuff and, and powerful stuff to that bullpen or rotation, wherever Alzale lands, just the pitching staff in general. I, I think you can really feel that impact when a guy performs like that. And, It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. I mean, I think the best case scenario, Brendan, is that he pitches so well on Tuesday against the Braves that you continue to have to ask yourself this question of like, what are we going to do here? Like, what are we going to do here when Hendricks is healthy? Like, we, we've talked a lot about how guys in particular, maybe favorite players of certain hosts on this podcast— probably aren't going to be the biggest fan of like an extended six-man rotation. Uh, I think... The- but they've talked about that in the past, even recently. Like a six-man rotation was on the table yes. two weeks ago. So if Hendricks did not go down, we would have seen that probably sooner rather than later. And I feel like John... Like, I like I get it. Like, John, he wants to stick to that consistent four-day stretch in between starts. And these guys have their routines. But at the same time... If you go to this aging veteran rotation, they're they're not dumb. They get it. And if you convince them that a six-man rotation is the way to go, John's going to sign up. John's very flexible when it comes to this. And I think it's it's the argument can be made, too, that doing this now and doing a six-man rotation for the next even month, even after the All-Star break, they did that in 2016. It could be a, a viable solution for those guys to perform late in September. So I, I honestly, Corey, I I kind of want to see it. I, I, I I do definitely think that there's merit to it. Yeah. I I think that, you know, it's just one of those things where I think everyone would potentially benefit from a a little extra breather. I, I, I don't see how that would be a bad thing. And obviously this is all in the context of Alzale pitching well enough that you're asking these questions and considering that. And I think that's what you obviously have to hope for. And if he looks like he did on Thursday in an extended start, especially against a very good Braves offense, 
you're going to get to the point where you're just like, how could you not keep pitching this guy, right? right. Like, and I and that's the situation you want to be in. Obviously, there's not really contenders in the Cubs rotation. Like, nobody's getting replaced in this rotation, at least at the current moment, right? That's just something that's simply not going to happen uh, with these five guys, as, you know, assuming once Hendricks is healthy. But if he's pitching that well, you got to find a way to use him. So that that's that's pretty much all there is to it. So and I have I have confidence they'll figure that out too. I mean, again, if, if he's doing so well, given the Cubs' pitching struggles, they're going to carve out a role right. for him. So whether yeah, that's a six man rotation, you have to figure it out. Yeah. So I think with that, let's turn to the just an update on Craig Kimbrell, just because it does relate to this pitching staff. Obviously, I mentioned that Tony Barnett is up. We've been hopeful to get him in the fold uh, and see what he would be able to provide to this team. So that is something to keep an eye on as uh, you know he doesn't get into the game on Sunday, but he will shortly. I'm sure you know Joe and Tommy Hadovy are, are itching to get a look at him and see what role he may be able to occupy in this bullpen. Uh, but Craig, Craig Kimbrell does pitch back-to-back days for the Iowa Cubs. He goes on Friday and then actually starts as the opener on Saturdays. There was some rain in uh, the game in Iowa there. So things, by all reports, looking good there. He did give up a home run in Saturday's game, but uh, far be it for me to read too much into these results. Um, I, you know, for me, like, especially like even, I think the velos were good, 94, 95, but most of that stuff I'm not really digging into until he's with the major league club. I don't know what he's working on down there. You you never know if he's letting it all go, like who knows, right? So yeah, until he's no with the major league team, performance and velo We'll deal with that when he's on the major league team and we're getting, you know, the the accurate readings and he's actually trying to perform for the Chicago Cubs. I don't really care what he's doing for the Iowa Cubs as long as he's healthy and accomplishing whatever goals he and the front office and pitching staff have established. So the plan that we have right now, as we record this on Sunday evening in Chicago, it's about 6 p.m. in Chicago, he is going to pitch again for the Iowa Cubs on Tuesday, and then they are going to evaluate from there. The beat writers for the Cubs saying it's possible, but they're not counting on it, that he is up in time for this series with the Atlanta Braves at Wrigley Field, but it is more likely that he joins the team when the Cubs go on the road to face Cincinnati. So that that sort of seems like the plan. Sadev Sharma, the athletic, saying if things go well in that, that outing on Tuesday, he could be up as early as Thursday or Friday, but this is all fluid. It depends on how he feels, how he looks, what, you know, what, whatever they're looking for. Obviously, all of this is subject to change, but it's all to say that the Cubs should be getting Craig Kimbrell in that bullpen pretty soon, mm-hmm. which is exciting. And again, you know, it just comes on the heels of some of these guys just not performing well. Brad Brock has not been good the entire season, uh, which is just unfortunate, you know, uh, something that I think you, you you thought he might be able to play a role here. But the numbers, you know, honestly, Brendan, like it's kind of similar to 
Discalso in a sense, where it's just like, I understand why they signed the guy. You look at some of the past performances and you go, okay, I can see it. I can see what you're trying to build on, where you're envisioning him. But the results are real bad, like unplayable bad. And, you know, you've got you a guy with You have to think a, at some point that's going to be it for him. You, right? you, like, you got to call a spade a spade, right? Like, there's, you, I mean, you can't we, just keep had... trying it. Yeah, it's been two, it's been almost three months now. You know what you have there. And I think with Brock, like, you can't convince me that what he's done and that what he could do is going to give him a spot on this October yeah. playoff roster if the Cubs even get there, right? So you can't make their argument right now. And with Alzole, if he performs well, you have no choice. I don't care that he's making whatever it is, 1.6 million after that uh, illness he had, whatever it is, you got to cut bait. Like there's nothing that he's done that inspires any confidence. If anything, it's been worse. His walk per nine, Corey, is unacceptable for a high leverage reliever. And he's not getting the type of whiffs that you expect from Brock in years past. He's not the same guy that he was. And he's not the same guy who I think Theo and the front office signed. I don't know if the, you know, the mono that affected him early in the year is unfortunate, but you can't, you can't keep throwing him at some point. You got to cut him loose. Yeah, and the the issue for Brock and you know for the Cubs front office in deciding these things is th- there's just going to be a roster crunch at some point because there's too many names, right? This is this is kind of one of the fallouts of the, the particular strategy that the Cubs employed, which was basically just gathering as many potential options as possible and kind of piecing it together from there because. You're going like Hendricks is going to come back at some point, so that's one roster spot, right? You've got Carl who is going to come back at some point when when he's off the injured list, so that's another roster spot. You've got guys, you know, they they just brought Tony Barnett up and Rowan Wick went down, but Wick has been a guy that's been interesting and one that they may want to keep trying. Dylan Maples is someone who. I think they obviously plan to get back in that major league bullpen. So you've got these names and and there's more like, you know, Kimbrell is going to take a roster spot, right? Like, so that's a few guys, like no questions asked, right? Carl Hendricks and Kimbrell are going to be back on this team. They are going to need a roster spot. Guys like Maples, it's performance dependent. I know they want him to come back, but we'll see, right? But that's at least three guys, like they're going to come back. So you got to find these these roster spots somewhere. And and this goes back to something that we've talked about. Like Brock just hasn't performed, you know. So you can keep sending guys like Rowan Wick down, keep Dylan Maples down, send Alzale down, you know, just because he has options and you, you know, maybe want a fresher arm or whatever. But at a certain point, doesn't it make more sense to let those guys and the younger guys have these opportunities instead of trotting Brad Brock out there and hoping that something changes? I think so, right? Well, I think one reason why they keep doing this is that they want to protect that depth. And I'm not saying, yeah, Brad Brock is a depth piece that's necessary to keep. But at the same time, if let's say Brock is DFA'd, right, and he's off the team, and he can't pass through waivers, then you bring up like Rowan Wick or Dylan Maples, and if they don't perform in a bigger sample size, or if one of them gets injured or someone else gets injured, then the alternative to Brad Brock is right. suddenly worse. So that's that has to be the logic there. And I can get behind it, but I, it's like it's a, it's a weird idea to balance because we talked about this too. Uh, I tweeted with Brian Smith on, on Twitter about this, of course, where 
these one-year flyer type options, they have value, but the long-term effect on someone like Rowan Wick or Dylan Maples, you don't really know what that does to their development. And for Rowan Wick, I like the guy a lot, actually, and I'm surprised he's not getting more of an opportunity. And it sucks to see because he does have good stuff. He throws mid-upper 90s, got a very short delivery, is a big guy, seems durable. He's been written about on Fangraphs as a guy to look for. So it sucks from you know a fan point of view where you know that Rowan Wick probably has a better, brighter future than Brad Brock. But at the same time, if you're the front office and you know the bullpen's an issue and you know depth may be an issue if you DFA Brad Brock, then you kind of roll the dice and you hope at least something comes about for Brock that makes him valuable at some point and you can keep that type of depth. So that's got to be the reason why. I'm not saying I like that reason, yeah. but I can at least understand why they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the transactions and roster manipulation. Right. So that certainly that certainly plays an effect. I think the question is, like, when do you reach that point, right? Where it's yeah. like, okay, like, we, we, we got to maybe try something else. But I mean, if it, were, if, it were, if it were up to me, he'd be gone, you know, last week and Rowan Wick would be gone. If it was up day. to you, Brendan, Brad Brock would have been gone months ago. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think mostly fortunately but sometimes unfortunately you and i are not in control of the cubs roster but mostly fortunately uh, yeah right (laughs) but another name that just has not been performing is mike montgomery and i'm looking at an article from evan altman of cubsinsider.com the most frequent guest in cubs related podcast history uh he is also you know sort of technically brendan and i's boss uh, as it relates to blogging but these numbers on montgomery are bad with a capital b uh maybe just all capitals uh that's how bad he has been that's and bad, yeah. as a lefty Coming into face lefties, which is often where he ends up getting used, um, he has pitched to a 1409 OPS against and a 563 Woba. A 1409 OPS. It's only OPS. 27 batters, right? I don't care what it is. <laughs> but those are alarming, alarming wow. numbers. And wow. this, you know, we saw this. Recently, and the reason Evan was writing this piece was because, of course, Jeff McNeil singles off him in that game that Darvish starts to bring in that winning run, that opposite field single that just gets past Chris Bryant down the third base line, and McNeil is a lefty. And Evan goes on to point out that this has not just been a problem against lefties. Uh, Overall on the year, Montgomery sporting a career low K per nine at 6.16 and career highs in both walks per nine and homers per nine. The homer per nine number is nearly double his mark uh, coming into the season. So he just hasn't been reliable. And we've asked this question before, but the Cubs have two guys now, and I guess three if you count Alzalay, though he and Chatwood both are getting an opportunity to start here against the Braves. But you've got a few guys on this roster now that are basically long men in in the reliever or guys that you Mm -hmm. at least try to keep lengthened out a little bit to pitch in longer situations, clean up some innings, etc. But it just goes to the larger conversation that we're in the middle of here that some of these guys in this bullpen just simply are not getting it done. And Mike Montgomery is one of those guys 
who he will always, right, forever and always have a place in our hearts and Chicago history. He's one of those guys that he shouldn't ever pay for a drink in the city of Chicago because if I have to remind you, I'm more than happy to, but Mike was actually the pitcher who gets the final out of the 2016 World Series, which, Brendan, get this, the Chicago Cubs won. The Cubs won the 2016 World Series, correct? Yes, that is a real So, when I talk about Montgomery, and we're talking about him not particularly performing very well, it is always with the caveat that we love you, Mike, and we'll forever love you. You just haven't been that good of a pitcher in 2019, and it does <laughs> sort of end up in a scenario where it's something that we have to talk about. And again, it yeah. does relate back to what I was just saying before, there's a lot of names that are going to need roster spots that don't even include guys who may perform so well that they earn one, right? But I don't think Montgomery should be on that list of potential, like, you know, DFA candidates. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that either, but it, I'm just sort of asking the question of, like, what do we do here when a guy who's played a role for this team just is not performing well, and and in a lot of the ways that Madden tries to use him, which is against these lefties, he's just not getting the job done. So I guess no, it's I not necessarily it, yeah. to say I, I I would put him in that same group with Brad Brock. Uh, I think especially just because Montgomery does offer you something completely separate than Brock, and that he can pitch multiple innings and outing, he can be lengthened out to give you a spot start if you end up needing that depth at certain points. So I guess it's a question of, you know, what role perhaps should he be playing and or why have the results just not been there this year for him, Brendan? Well, I mean, he's been injured, though, a few times, even dating back to spring training. He has not started one time this year, whereas last year he had 19 starts. So he's not at a point where he's even in the discussion for a six-man rotation, which is shocking to see given that he's been used as such the past few years. So I think with with Monty, the numbers are not good. The command, he has a 4.26 walk per nine. That's way above what we've seen recently in 2018. It was 2.83, for example. So he's not at a point where he's even capable of going out there and, and spot starting. Why that is? probably influenced by those injuries so you know that's at least partially an underlying cause also too i think to some degrees always in the back of my mind when the cubs drafted a lot of these pitchers and developed a lot of these pitchers or lack thereof but for monty when they acquired him in 2016 the state of the league is a lot different then as it is now so when the cubs acquired monty he still he had an 8.3 K per nine, pretty good, uh, a slightly better than league average whiff rate. But since he was moved to the rotation a little bit more, he gives up greater than league average contact now. And that was fine, right? Because he had a 60% or so ground ball rate, which is really good. But with these new balls, these more slicker baseballs that Lester talked about, the baseball's flying out of the ballpark. We even saw Lester talk about it in Los Angeles. Matt has talked about it even at Wrigley. It's a different environment, and I do worry that with pitchers like Montgomery, who never had the type of like whiffable type of pitches, but relied on that soft contact, unless you're someone like Kyle Hendricks, those guys may not be able to last in this new baseball environment. And for Montgomery, he's getting up there in age, he's 29, approaching 30, he's still under team control, but I, I think in the back of my mind, I do wonder, 
is he going to be able to get through this even in the future in this new baseball environment? But at the very least, they're going to give him the chance to, you know, to, to write the ship. And hopefully he gets a little bit more innings under his belt, his health kind of settles, and he's able to even go out there and, and spot start maybe a few times this year. But I think for Monty, you can't rely on him to be that lefty type uh, swing man or that loogie, so to speak. That's probably going to Tony Barnett. And for Montgomery, again, if the, if the September month rolls around and the Cubs are fortunate to be in a position where they're going to go to the playoffs, I don't think you're going to see Montgomery on a, a playoff roster. This is how it's going to shape out. But that does not mean in the next few months he can be a significant contributor. Because if he does get his, you know, his in-shape arm back to a point where he can be a swingman. And you don't have to go to someone like Tyler Chatwood to spot start if Hendricks goes down. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. Yeah, I think that's uh, fair. Again, this bullpen is going to be a work in progress for a large portion of this season. We'll see what happens once they get Kimbrell in there. We'll see uh, you know, what happens when a guy like Tony Barnett gets a chance, see what he's able to provide, and they're going to keep playing this game until I, I think... I think as we head towards the stretch here and ultimately towards the playoffs, the Cubs have all the pieces to make this work, and they may go out and acquire more. It's just going to be a question of kind of fitting those puzzle pieces and, you know, who those pieces end up being. But I, I, I think it's there. It's it's just going to be a question of ironing that out and, you know, maybe figuring out when you want to move on from some of the guys that aren't necessarily getting the job done. And just real quickly, just on the subject of the offensive inconsistency, right, or, you know, that we see in in, in some of these games, it's, you know, I, I think I said this on the when we got on on the last podcast, Brendan, but it's a weird spot for you and I, because we don't want to just talk about the same stuff, right? But it's the same stuff, man. Like yeah. Daniel Descalzo's not any good. Addison Russell's not a good hitter. It's you know, like it's the same <laughs> stuff, you know. And I mean, there's there's nothing you can do about it for now. Like you can right. DFA Descalzo, but who do you bring up? You can take a chance on Robo Garcia, who's hitting a home run every game in AAA. Yeah, go take a chance on that. But again, it's, it comes down to expecting versus expectations and versus you know projectability. And I think for Descalzo. He's going to be on the roster until the trade deadline approaches. That's how it works until you get a more projectable replacement. You can't project Robo Garcia. You can't project some of these other guys. Ian Happ is still playing poorly. You need some type of viable solution if you want to cut ways with Del Scalso, which I think hopefully they end up doing if he continues to perform this bad. But I don't think you can make the argument that you bring up someone else right now. You risk that depth. It goes back to the same argument of why you keep Brad Brock. I don't like watching the pitch. I think it, you know, it it gives us a lot of anxiety as fans, but you see the logic of why they do it. Come, I'm telling you, come the end of July, I would be shocked if Brock is on this team performing that badly on July 31st. 
I'd be shocked if Descalso still has a roster spot with a negative 0.5 war. That's not going to happen. But those types of replacements, you don't see what you could replace those players with until another few weeks or so. And then you get a clearer picture of the potential replacement options that you have on the table. But until now, you kind of have to sweat it out. You can't play them with consistency. And you just got to, you know, tread water, so to speak, for the time being. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm mostly with you there. I, just at this point, though, Discalzo provides nothing, man. Like, he, he is not a good defender. He has been terrible at the plate. Yeah, but I mean, like... Again, if it were up, <laughs> Corey, if it were up to me, he'd be gone three weeks ago. Yeah. But no, I mean, I understand is, what you're this saying. Is the logic but like, the, this is the logic of the front office. You have like we're not crazy, right? There's got to be reasons why they're still on the team. The yeah. only thing that we can come up with is, preser- you know, preserving that depth. And there's no the trademark is not developed yet. So if you want to go out and get another hitter, it's not there. You cannot go into that market yet. And again. I like the story with Garcia in AAA, but his, he's striking out 38% of those plate appearances. In AAA, he comes up to the bigs. You have no idea what to expect. He could be just as bad as Descalso. And with Descalso's track history, even though it doesn't look like it's going to be a thing this year, at least he was a successful major league player as recent as last year. So it's a really tricky situation, but the only logic of why he's still on the team is because there's no clear viable replacement. And that's the only reason why we keep seeing them on this team. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Brendan, big fan of Daniel Descalso you're Miller. Gonna, you're going to get me in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I, 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 and I only really brought that up toward the end of the podcast here just to reiterate, like, I, I don't think that anything new is going on here. Like Brendan mentioned, you know, it hasn't been Javi's best stretch. But he'll get hot. He'll be, you know, he's too good. And yeah, like he's going to have stretches where the hits aren't falling for him or, you know, he's grounding out too many times. But he's overall putting together a very good season. And once he gets hot, those numbers will shoot right back up. Schwarber continues to be very good in the leadoff spot. Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, Brizzo, as you may know them, both having very good seasons. Wilson Contreras on fire at the plate. So those things have really been pretty consistent for almost the entire season. And the the rest of it just hasn't. And we could go over that every single episode. We could go over like right now, Almora is in just not a good stretch here. His uh, overall numbers not looking very good. His OPS on the season is now down below 700, which is not really an area you want to be in. We know the defense that he provides and and those instincts, etc. Um, but that's really the story. You know, the, the cargo thing has not worked out. He does not look very good. He had a couple, uh, I think, at bats over this weekend against the Mets. Uh, you know, he he comes through, you know, and sort of helps them in that rally in that game on Thursday, but then, you know, throughout the weekend doesn't look that good. And that's really just the story of it. So like we could keep going through that um, every episode, but it's not really changing that much, folks. Uh, Like I said, like Descalso has not been productive. Addison Russell is in the midst of his fifth season at this point where he'll be a below league average hitter. Uh, you know, Almora has been inconsistent. Jason Hayward is, you know, I think who he is at this point, like he's about a league average to slightly above hitter. 
excellent defender, good base runner. And, you know, so that's what it is. And that's totally cool. Um, But when you combine it with some of these other guys just not performing and the rotation that we see, that's just kind of the story. And, you know, like we mentioned before, like Caratini has kind of come back down to earth a little bit. um, And that's kind of the story of the bottom of the order. So we could kind of relitigate that every episode. But, you know, like like we said before, you kind of head into that trade deadline and think about what you want to do. You check what's available out there. And I would expect to see some changes uh, to what degree or severity. I'm not really sure. But I would be surprised. And I think that's kind of what you were just saying, Brennan. Like, I would be surprised if we're having this exact same conversation uh, for the rest of the year. But if you're looking for, you know, where the offensive inconsistency comes from, that's the answer. And it's been the same for a while now. And I, at least until there's different personnel in there, I don't think it's going to change. Okay. So let's preview this upcoming series against the Atlanta Braves. The Braves come to Wrigley for a four game set. The first of which starts Monday, a night game, 7.05 PM central start time. Julio Tehran takes the mound for the Braves. Tehran's 5 and 5 with a 3.4 ERA. John Lester, 6 and 5 with a 4.13 ERA. On Tuesday, Max Free takes the mound, 8 and 3 with a 4.03 ERA. Adbert Alzole, first career start, 1 and 0 with a 2.25 ERA from that one outing in his debut. On Wednesday, Dallas Keuchel takes him out for the Braves. His second start as a Brave, his first one went five innings. He gave up three earned runs. Hugh Darvish will oppose Keuchel, who's 2-3 and with a 4.75 ERA. That game starts at 7.05 p.m. And then the last of the four-game set is on Thursday, a day game, 1.20 p.m. start time. The Braves have not announced a starter for that game, but Tyler Chatwood will be the starter for the Cubs. Chatwood on the year, 3-1 with a 3.69 ERA. The complete landscape right now for the NL Central. The Cardinals do play Sunday Night Baseball, so it's uh, it's going to change Monday morning. But right now, the Cubs are half a game up of Milwaukee at 42-35, and 35, Milwaukee 42-36. and 36. The Cardinals are 40-36 and 36 again before they play Sunday Night Baseball. So if they lose, they'll be two games back with the Cubs. If they win, they'll be one game back. The Reds are playing a lot better. They're 36-40, and 40, five and a half games back of the Cubs. And then Pittsburgh is 36-40, and 40, same record as Cincinnati, and five and a half games back of the Cubs. The Braves are 46-32. and 32. They are on a tear right now. They are six and a half games up of the Phillies and NL East. So it'll be a tough one. Uh, it's going to be, you know, one of those potential playoff matchups. The Cubs did get swept early on in Atlanta during that tough two and seven start to the year. So you want to see them, of course, perform a little bit better against the same team that kind of overwhelmed them to start the year. Outside of the obvious, you want to see Alzo Lake, you know, perform well, you know, build off of that last start. It's a potential turning point, I guess, if you will, from from Pat Hughes in terms of what the Cubs may do with Alzole once Hendricks does come back. So that's probably the most important and uh, immediate consequence of any of these starts in, in, in this series. And then, look, this is the last four-game set before we go on to Cincinnati. The home stretch has not been good. The Cubs have not been consistent. So if this is one of those series where... You can get some momentum going forward to Cincinnati before the All-Star break. Uh, you know, doing this against a Braves team would, would really set the path straight, I think, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And look, like this is part of the reason that 
we wanted them to take care of business against the White Sox and Mets. You get a really good Braves team that's that's playing really good baseball right now, hitting the cover off the ball in a lot of these games, putting up big run totals in this series uh, that they were playing against the Nationals this weekend. So it doesn't get any easier, right? Like, and, and not to keep dragging the Cubs for that one start, but like, it's not going to get any easier than Ivan Nova showing up at Wrigley Field and starting against you. So no, he's like scarred you. you well, it, you know, it's just one of those, so it's one times. of those games where you go throughout the year and you're it, like, it, it's hard not to think that that's one you'll be like, man, I wish they had just won that game. Like things could be a lot easier if they had just hit it's Ivan Nova, like literally everybody else does. But I know, I know again. It, so it, it's just a question of like, it doesn't get any easier, but kind of one of those things that we've seen from this team at times is they play better when the competition gets better. I, you know, sometimes you don't know how to explain that and I wish it wasn't always like that. Uh, but they play up, you know, they show up when they have to. So I, you know, it'll be an interesting series. Obviously the rotation is, is in a weird spot here. You get Alzale, you get Chatwood and it'll be interesting to see what those guys do. Tough lineup. Um, but I think, you know, for me, just try to play good baseball against a good team coming in here and, you know, certainly like if you look at how the, the, the playoff situation may shake out with what LA is doing, perhaps a team the Cubs may see down the road if we're, we're looking towards the playoffs here, the Atlanta Braves, those two divisions kind of match up in terms of uh, who would be the two and three seeds in the playoffs, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, right? Kind of. But a little bit, yeah. Anyway, I think the, the the big thing for me is Alzale, obviously. Like, he was really good against the Mets on Thursday. Now he officially kind of gets the spotlight to himself, gets to start the game uh, against a tough lineup. So it'll be fun to see if he's able to, you know, kind of live up to that moment and, and deliver uh, another really cool moment and experience for everybody at Wrigley Field and all the fans watching one around more, the world uh tip of the cap please that would be uh that would be quite the follow-up yeah let's just uh, let's make that a thing keep tipping yeah. the caps yeah, yeah. alzale tips his cap but yeah i mean just uh try to try to tcb before you head out on the road here and other than that i think that that is all that we have for you of course brennan and i will come back and talk to you when the Cubs and Braves finish up this series at wrigley field as always we thank you guys for listening and go cubs There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax Oxygen System is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax Oxygen System is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. Keep your whole home running like clockwork from the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.